is a mindset that makes lawyers very, very good at what we sort of do, but not necessarily good at disrupting ourselves and being able to change and innovate within ourselves. I think that's, you know, one of the bastions of law is its kind of resistance to, to change. Welcome to The Wired Wick, demystifying tech law trends and educating about law in tomorrow's society. Hello and welcome back to The Wired Wig. My name is Annabelle Pemberton and in this week's episode I spoke to Erica Lee. Erica studied law at the University of Sydney in Australia and leads and contributes to the law and technology space. Some examples of her work include being a director of The Legal Forecast and president of their New South Wales arm, assisting with strategy at the Law Society of New South Wales and partaking in projects at institutions such as the Berkman Klein Centre for Internet and Society at Harvard University. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing what drew Erica to the space of law and technology, some of the work that she's been recently doing at the Legal Forecast and at the Berkman Klein Centre for Internet and Society regarding Indigenous communities. And finally, we're going to be closing with how you can have impact as a student or a legal professional. So Erica, thank you for joining me today on the Wired Wig podcast. So just to start off the episode, how did you get into technology and the law world? I guess partway through my law degree, I realized I wanted to kind of somehow shoehorn or anchor a lot of my legal education into technology because it was absolutely absent from from what I was learning at law school. So I kind of found different avenues and pathways into it. And I, I think I literally kind of typed in law and technology into Google and just started learning about it, started reading about it, started getting my head into this space. And, and I think one day I kind of just realized that um, came across this amazing program called Law Without Walls, which is run by Michelle DiStefano and back then Erica Congetto Bagano at Miami Law School. And it was this incredible global program where they took law students and technology students and business students for um, a couple of months and taught them everything, um, or at least a lot of what I know about law and technology and technology within the legal profession. I've also kind of uh, had different sorts of experiences and, and certainly trying to explore the broad sort of umbrella and church of law and technology, both from the technology of law side, which is more in legal practice and legal transformation and actually building technology solutions for different clients and companies all the way from corporate law firms to community legal centers to banks um, and their compliance functions and certainly have explored much more of the the law of technology side of things and which is much more kind of connected to government and policy and I think it's important as a young person to be able to see what's out there and and figure out what you connect with and and I guess go through a process of elimination when you um, figure out what what you what makes you happy um, and what kind of Uh, feeds your soul and and your intellectual um, hunger as well. Absolutely. And I found that as well, that just the complexity around the subject and the different paths in law and technology that you can look at how the law could impact our new technologies, or you can look at legal tech and you can really spin it in different ways. And Mm -hmm. when I found out that this wasn't really being covered in my law degree and that it was something that people were doing I was the same I was thinking how can I explore it in different ways you might think law is not for you before even getting to law and technology or some 
career or path around that and then actually find it's perfect for for you suddenly when you have different interests and passions I I think I I definitely just kind of shoehorned and smooshed together um forcefully very much my interest in technology which I guess was so different from from you know legal discipline but kind of found that space and found that niche and um I guess carved out a niche and found other people who are doing the same thing so definitely definitely agree with you there Yes, absolutely. And I know you mentioned that you really like the societal impact of law and technology and also the complexity around it. But is there anything else that really interests you about the interaction between law and technology that really made you realize, okay, this is where I should be? I I found myself kind of a person that sort of operates between binaries. I really like that ambiguous sort of space in the middle where things intersect. Um, just to kind of reflect on my own sort of background, my 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 family heritage is Vietnamese and Chinese, so it's Asian. Um, growing up in Australia, um, certainly a, a heavily kind of Western um, culture. And, and kind of, I've always tried to make sense of things that seemed like absolute dichotomies and absolute binaries. I guess in a way, I, I've become very fascinated with that sort of middle space. And to kind of bring it to law and technology, initially when I first kind of asked myself these sorts of questions, I always saw them as, as absolute dichotomies. You know, law is something that is slow, it is deliberative, it is highly institutionalised, it has a sort of reverence about it. And technology on the other side is kind of fast moving, very shiny, um, very rapidly advancing um, in terms of its development, its practice, it's agile and it's global. The law is very local um, and jurisdictionally based. And I just found there's so many different contrasts between law and technology as, as kind of institutions or practices or whatever we want to kind of call them and I think for me it's about finding out what makes one unique but also really fascinatingly what makes them common as well that's that's kind of one of the sorts of really interesting sort of tensions and certainly a whole bunch of other interesting you know more specific questions actually arise between those sorts of interplays of the of those things. I've completely seen that working in legal tech in comparison to working in a law firm or any legal institution in, in the UK, just the way you work as well is completely different. And yep, it's a lot for law students to get used to, I think. So how do you see law and technology interact in the world in the future? I, I see that law and legal training and technology practice are kind of different ways of understanding different disciplines that that give you different lenses to understand the world and and solve kind of problems within it. I think it's particularly interesting to kind of see how the two as as social forces. I I see the world from Mm -hmm. a sociological lens. And if we see them as social forces, they they help um, in their own sort of ways to order the really sort of chaotic and messy sort of complex world. And, And certainly as each of those acting as social forces, bump up against each other, there are really, really interesting sorts of problems that arise out of that, particularly as we move towards a more digitally powered world and Mm -hmm. and, and undergoing this um, where technology kind of bleeds into everything. I think it raises very, very sorts of interesting questions about 
the visibility of technology um, as a as a social force. Something that I'm sure um, you've also noticed is that when you jump onto public transport or onto a bus or onto a train, everyone is kind of looking at their phones. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about the sort of consciousness or um, awareness that you know people when we use different forms of technology, we make different choices about technology. Whether those are sort of self-aware sort of questions. I think what's particularly fascinating about this is that we don't have yet a clear consensus-based framework where we figure out how to build good technology and how um, we assess good technology. And, And certainly there's been a lot of discussion around artificial intelligence and ethics, but a lot of these discussions are happening at the kind of the highest levels and a lot of these discussions are still quite normative discussions and they've yet to kind of filter down into um, more of a practical sort of framework. And I think what's what's really interesting is that software engineers and computer scientists are now being asked to make decisions and articulate answers to questions that were previously understood to be in the provenance of law. Yes. Things like what does it mean to be fair and what does it mean to be unbiased and what does it mean to be And I think, you know, tying that all together one of my big sort of questions is that as we build our technological futures, how do we ensure that the technology platforms we're building, the choices that we're making, um, and the algorithms that we're we're coding can be adapted with an orientation that takes into consideration the fairer and I guess more noble human ideals as well as humans um, so that we don't leave anyone behind and, and certainly, you know, bigger sort of moral and ethical questions about, well, whose morality, whose ethics, and and how do we sort of encode and embed these sorts of different values? And that's that's my huge, big question, which I don't have an answer to yet. <laughs> and who do you think the responsibility lies with? Do you think the responsibility lies with lawyers or society or um, government? Who should be driving this change? That's, a, that's an excellent question. You know, it really reminds me of this this one time I was sitting on a panel. You know, one of the questions that I kind of rhetorically asked the audience was like, you know, where do we see the world in 10,000 years? Um, where do we see humanity in 10,000 years? And, you know, when you ask people that, most people's minds kind of blow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. We have the capacity to think that far ahead because we are very much concerned about what happens tomorrow, what we ate last night, what we're going to eat tonight for dinner, um, what our jobs might be in one or two years' time, but we don't necessarily have that sort of long-term thinking. And one of the lawyers um, who, who was probably 10 years my senior in the audience asked me a question time. She was like, you know, it was really fascinating um, to, to hear a question about 10,000 years. Where, where do you see it? And, and what should we do about it? What should I do about it? And it's interesting because it's not a question about, you know, who has responsibility for the thing because I, I you know, and what particular um, profession um, holds responsibility for the thing. Hopefully, I like to think, or at least, you know, would, would like to be inspired to think that all of us have some sort of individual responsibility to play in our own sort of everyday roles and everyday life, we're able to to think about, you know, what we're doing and ask these sorts of questions about ourselves in a very self-aware way. Hopefully, you know, the sum of these decisions we make as a society can lend itself to what 
hopefully is a better world. I think it's it's a you know a lawyer is really upholding the the values of their profession or technologists really thinking about this, the other impacts about building good code and and what that actually means. And I think the ultimate kind of question is is really about whether we're taking responsibility for our own actions and not being so short-sighted about the fact that we do play roles in our own lives in the very present about the choices that we make that impact the future. And so that's, that's probably where I'm coming from to answer that. Yes, no, definitely. And I think just seeing a month ago, for example, the A-level results in the UK based off an algorithm that maybe hadn't gone through all the checks it should have gone through and really questioning how did that happen on a, for something so important as well in society we really do need to start thinking about these issues more um, and not seeing those issues as well just seeing them as part of the design process of of products I realize that it's actually quite a um, quite a somber view right but I I do gen- I'm a bit of a techno optimist and I really genuinely do think there are incredible opportunities when we do get involved in the conversation at a really sort of interdisciplinary level where we do speak to not only just the users that are going to be the the target audience for Mm. different technologies but because the pervasiveness of technology is such that you know it it bleeds into every part of our lives um, we should be able to actually have some sort of input into that feedback loop and input into into how we can make things better and more responsive. The hope is that we can actually deliver incredible technology solutions that are an absolute boon to, to the flourishing of, of human potential and human capacity. Yes, um, yes. And I, I genuinely, genuinely do believe that. I think a lot of the, the banging on that we do is driven a lot by fear. I think it's very, very, very easy to criticise things and... Um, say what's wrong with things but again being able to turn those criticisms into challenges but then turning those challenges and and seeing opportunities within them and then doing something about that is Mm -hmm. is the harder kind of step but it's a step that we all need to kind of take together and it's a step that we all should be positive and optimistic about I think in the past obviously technology is you know, delivers on incredible things. It is really impactful. And most of the time it is really positive. So it's really important to remember that. You're a director of The Legal Forecast. And what is The Legal Forecast and what, what do you do? Yeah, so The Legal Forecast is a community of young lawyers and law students. We basically aim to advance legal practice through technology, innovation. It's a not-for-profit. Um, we're all providing volunteers and we're really really passionate about disruptive thinking and access to justice we're kind of designed as a as a rite of passage for law students who are creative entrepreneurially minded and most importantly do believe that technology has a really important role to play in legal practice and also access to justice loosely 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 we're just a community of people that really care about each other and have a very very strong sense of the future and we want to be able to be able to build our futures and have an influence in in what that future looks like. Great. And why did you decide to establish the legal forecast? And I suppose it links back to what you were saying earlier about this this issue, the issues we were seeing between the law and technology world and how it needs to be brought together and how that just wasn't happening in your legal education. Or was it something beyond that as well? The the whole way that I got involved with TLF 
was because I, you know, to be honest, I felt very lonely. Um, I felt very lonely to think that, and I, I kind of was optimistic that it wasn't just me that had these sorts of, you know, big sort of questions about the world. I actually, just for the record, I didn't actually establish TLF, um, but I joined it after meeting a one of my, you know, most inspirational mentors and leaders, Milan Gandhi, um, and his colleagues. Uh, and so the legal forecast started out in a place called Brisbane in Australia, um, which is in the state of Queensland. And at the time, I also just kind of come back from Law That Walls, which is that program that I mentioned. And came back to Australia and I thought, oh my gosh, where is this community of incredible, interesting people? And at the time, I was kind of much more exploring the technology and entrepreneurial side of things. So I got very, very heavily involved with the Sydney startup scenes um, and, and certainly the founders meetups and whatnot. I remember seeing this Facebook post from Milan. It just kind of read, we ran Australia's first legal technology hackathon. I just reached out as a random stranger out of the blue over the internet and probably in the most appropriate sort of way and just said, hi, um, I'm also someone who's very, very fascinated, very, very passionate about this space. Please let me know if we could ever meet up. From that conversation, we managed to kind of launch Legal Forecast. And it was a, it was a start of a conversation that to led us to where we are now. And, and we've built such an incredible community and such an incredible national organization from what happens when you meet other very passionate people who are willing to work hard and, and put in efforts to build community and make connections and almost kind of facilitate other people's passions um, and bring people along along with you and and I guess elevate others as well so I think that's that's kind of it the establishment of TLF for me personally was was yeah a very personal reason about finding other people who are interested in this space that I could you know discuss and debate and and I guess figure out what what to do about the sort of issues that I saw with the world but it also has a much more broader mandate to to elevate others and and help them do the same thing. Yes, no, absolutely. And you can just, from what you've been saying, you can see that community is running so strongly through the legal forecasts as well. So what are the sort of examples of the work that the legal forecast is doing? Is it is it just community-based or is it further than that as well? I think you caught us at a really sort of interesting time. And, and to kind of give you an example of some of the work that we've done, uh, we actually you know, initially tried to start out as being a sort of journal or a blog of sorts that um, just kind of contains thought leadership around these sorts of issues, right? Um, certainly all of us have been reading enough about these issues and, and certainly we wanted to kind of write about them. But I think talking and writing is, is not always enough. And so we tried to turn thought into action. And yes. what we ended up doing was again when you smash two two sort of disciplines together we ran a legal a, a national legal technology hackathon which was the most incredible and most hilarious thing ever because when you think about you know law students and engineering students there was a language barrier that we had to kind of bridge there certainly being you know so to give an example we run hackathons that bring together interdisciplinary minds to to work on common problems um and one of the, the other really excellent things that we've we've also done is run kind of regular meetups and seminar series. Um, and we've moved much more into the space of being able to work with other organizations, such as the Law Society of New South Wales and um, by virtue of that, the Supreme Court of New South Wales and Justice Connect and, and kind of trying to kind of help and change the perspective of technology within 
you know, sort of broader institutions. And what's particularly interesting about that is that lawyers and the legal profession, um, you know, taken very, very broadly and taken very, very, um, in, a, in a sort of very general sort of way, we're a very conservative profession. Um, we don't necessarily like risk. We don't like change. Um, and again, this goes to the binaries I was discussing before. But it, it's a sort of really interesting sort of mindset to to kind of engage with, right? Um, it, it's a mindset that makes lawyers very, very good at what we sort of do, but not necessarily good at disrupting ourselves and being able to change and innovate within ourselves. And I think that's, you know, one of the bastions of law is its kind of resistance to, to change and its kind of inclination to keep the status quo, but being able to find that that almost sweet spot where you can innovate and think about things um, and also implement new technologies and ways of working in a sort of comfortable, psychologically safe sort of yes. way. I think one of the other really, really interesting and amazing things that we've done is... Um, our incredible teammates in, in Victoria have led this program called TLF Connect, which is something that we launched this year. And it's a mentoring program that connects all the legal uh, technology professionals that we could find in Australia and connects them with younger law students in a mentoring program. And, and certainly being able to build bridges between different generations um, is something that we're very passionate about. Certainly the pipeline of, of talent and opportunity has to has to be kind of well laid out. And I think that's that's mainly what we do as well. So you recently completed a project with the Berkman Klein Centre for Internet and Society at Harvard University. Could you tell us a bit more about the project? Of course. So the project is run out of the Berkman Klein Summer Institute. It's the first year that they've run it this year. And it was an incredible, incredible educational program. I would highly encourage anyone who's listening who's interested in issues around law or technology policy to apply for next year's intake. Our team was a team that was made up of, of three students. We were guided by this incredible lady called Julia Wanner, who is the founder of Internet Sans Frontiers, uh, which is Internet Without Borders. And she also sits on the Facebook oversight board. And it's absolutely incredible to to not only learn from uh, a lot of the the experts of the Bertman Klein Center who who were you know pivotal in, in shaping our project, but our project focused very much on perspectives to law and technology as it applies to Indigenous communities in Australia. So, from what we've We've learned in the program and also combining our own sorts of interests. We were very, very curious about the North-South divide, about the cultural impact of technology and cultural embeddedness within technology. We're obviously concerned about minority voices. We're concerned about the development and design of technology. One of our team members who is this incredible person called Subhadip Maitra had this great kind of experience working with Indigenous communities before, and, and certainly so have I. And we kind of combined this into a project that sought to enliven these kind of first-hand accounts from those work in these sorts of areas. And so we completed a set of interviews of, of 35 people, which included you know, Indigenous communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, lawyers, barristers, academics, policymakers, entrepreneurs, law enforcement officers, and even philosophers and ethicists, which was incredible. What we ended up creating was this four-part project. The first was the production of a report called Law, Technology and Indigenous Communities in Australia, preparing for facial recognition. The facial recognition aspect 
is is particularly key to this because it gave us a very real sort of technology to anchor a lot of these understandings. The the higher level version of this, um, the, these sorts of insights, then grounded a submission to UNESCO, and it was the first kind of consultation on AI and ethics, which will be one of the first instruments that examine these sorts of questions at, at an international, global level. We created a website to share these sorts of stories, pieces and anecdotes that we've learned with the public. So having that sort of educational, you know, sharing of knowledge, because we, we genuinely do believe that knowledge should not be kept in the ivory tower. So mm-hmm. you're yes. all very, very welcome to visit it and to didgeri.com. Um, <laughs> and the last piece, and, and certainly because we, we understand that being able to convey knowledge in different mediums and different forms and different languages and different ways is, is particularly important. So we actually involved an incredible Indigenous artist to create a representation of the work that we were doing, which actually then became the, the theme and the artwork behind this sort of report. So it was a really, really fascinating um, sort of project to be involved in. We found some interesting themes around Indigenous autonomy and self-determination, community, and suddenly the emotional, spiritual and social ties, um, concepts of relationality and locality, which are particularly fascinating as they, as they sort of bump up against technology and things like data sovereignty and um, particularly Indigenous data sovereignty, which has even more nuanced definitions and impacts and, and consequences for concepts of privacy and and certainly inclusive design. Is the report available online publicly? Yeah, it is, it is. So okay. I can I can share it with you. Yes, I will leave the links in below this podcast episode so you can find it in the description if you would like to look more into that project as well and to understand it. So in all the projects that you've been involved in, what would be your key metric of success? They kind of revolve around questions. You know, have I made the world just a little bit better than I found it? <laughs> have I found opportunities to ask questions and think about things in a deep sort of way? Am I, am I learning and am I growing? Have I made friends and connected with people that I can discuss and debate things with and run together and take action together have I shared a really sort of impactful sort of experience I think that those are those are the questions that I ask myself when I think about success I like to think that if you strip away the whole world you know our buildings and our architecture and our clothing it's it's humans you're standing with a bunch of naked humans right and I like to think that it's humans all the way down and I think that sort of understanding really kind of grounds how I not only just relate to the world but also how I work and and how I define things like success. Very community-based and going back to what you were saying about the legal forecast as well I, I think they're definitely both linked there. So would you have any advice for students who would like to make an impact in law and technology or would just like to explore the topic more as well? I think the the critical word there is impact right Something that I would really encourage is to go with the weird and go with, you know, the different and have an inclination towards experimentation. The power in the human mind is such that we are able to cultivate creativity and imagination. And I think when we're operating in such an uncertain sort of future, Mm -hmm. there's something about 
being able to reimagine the world, have a vision for what it might be, and then nudge towards those sorts of goals, I guess. And and I think to make an impact, I think it combines, you know, different parts of your brain and, and certainly different parts of your heart as well. So I think definitely do things with passion, curiosity, learning, and just get out there and just start to kind of go back to my points about responsibility in the professions earlier. I think there's also a sense of responsibility or a determination to make an impact on your own future and be able to build that future yourself. I heard a great line the other day, which is, if you don't stand for anything, what do you fall for? I think that really resonated with me. And and I think definitely being able to just start and um, don't let your age or your flaws or your doubt kind of get the better of you is probably the best best, um, advice that I would kind of give. Something that I've definitely also learned is that job titles and degrees and anything that you would consider a, a a, a title or a role or responsibility can can just be made up and reassembled. So be able to figure out what you want from things and what combination of skills and um, activities that you like to do and, and create your own pathway, which which does really kind of require that, that sort of reimagination and, and creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the really interesting effects of the last few months, I suppose, is that people are really considering their own values as well yeah. and thinking what they want out of life and I think this is really key as well for law students because at least in in the UK it's as soon as you get to law school you're on this treadmill in one way that your law school wants you to go and it's very hard to step off that if you don't just breathe and think okay do I really want to work in a big law firm is that what I really want to do or is there somewhere else I want to have impact as well yeah and and absolutely and I know this sounds really fluffy actually or at least I used to think it was fluffy but being able to be your genuine authentic self and finding the people around you that feel good to work with the sorts of issues and topics that keep you up at night and, and and things that you find you're spending time on consciously or unconsciously. And, and those things are pretty good indicators and signals of, of what you're, you're kind of passionate about. Do you have any recommendations for books or anything to watch? Lex Friedman runs this incredible podcast on artificial intelligence for all those who are interested out there. For a long-term view of history, all of Ferrari's kind of books, um, Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs and Steel, if you're interested in how paradigms work, one essential reading is obviously Thomas Kuhn's Theory of Scientific Revolutions. I know that's a little bit of an academic one, but it certainly absolutely changed my, my thinking. For, for those who are really, really interested in questions about what humanity looks like in a billion years of, of time, the Long Now Foundation is, is one of those sorts of organizations and institutes that people might find very, very fascinating, really interesting. And I think that's a that's probably a good list. Yes, that's an excellent list. And there's so many titles that I haven't heard of. So I'm definitely going to have to go away and look into those books, which is fantastic. Well, thank you for talking to me for this episode today, Erica. I really enjoyed our conversation and we talked about so many different aspects. Um, so thank you again for being on The Wired Fig. Thank you so much for having me.
Pemberton and you have just listened to the Wide Wig podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. As always, if you liked what you just heard, be sure to follow this account on Spotify and follow the Wide Wig on Instagram for the latest tech law news and updates.